0: Hello and welcome to the Cognitive Engineering podcast produced by Tell Me Studios for Aleph Insights. In this series of podcasts we take a look at interesting topics and discuss what we think they tell us about analysis and decision making. I'm Fraser McGrew and I'm here with Nick Hare and Chris Ragg of Aleph Insights and this week we're discussing the recent cyber attack on the NHS, the British Healthcare Service. So, Chris, can you lead us in on this, describe the events, um, and then perhaps address this from the point of view of public perception?
1: Uh, So, yes, this relates to uh, the recent um, Want to Cry um, ransomware. Why why are you saying it like that? It's called Want to Cry. It's driving me mad. (laughs) (laughs) It may be called Want to Cry, but I can't bring myself to say wanna wanna cry it just doesn't just you just did it you You just said said it it. (laughs) i did i did okay the recent wanna cry uh ransomware attack uh which um had a particular uh um significant effect on the um, national health service in in the uk but also affected lots of other organizations um uh, around the world and effectively um Uh, encrypted uh, lots of data held by these organizations and uh, insisted on a a ransom being paid in order to um, uh, decrypt the information and and allow uh, the the organizations to accept it again, uh, to access it again. Um, But I suppose the thing I'm I'm most interested in about this is not the the technicalities of of how the attack was achieved or or the impact of it, but actually the public perception of the, uh, the event and the risk associated with it um, and it st- struck me, you know, having sat and uh, listened to um, lots of pundits and read lots of um, coverage ab- about it, uh, it struck me as a classic um, public panic story, uh, which we've had, you know, th- things like, um, you know, not dissimilar to things like the Millennium Bug or um you know when the Ebola virus was was coming out when you had the initial hype cycle around the threat to to other parts of the world f- from that and and generally, it strikes me these things kind of follow follow a pattern which is which is quite interest interesting, which is you know to begin with the the public doesn 't particularly understand the threat, so it's it 's a novel kind of threat, something they don 't uh, particularly have a, a technical insight into um, and so so you get this this huge overestimation of the risk to begin with and the the interest in in the risk and then and then slowly you get sort of more information emerging as people begin to to understand it Better and um, you, you, people talk about um, you, you know mitigations to the risk start to surface of you know in this case backing up your uh, your information or how not to fall for for a phishing attack um, and you get slow reduction in the the, the perception of the threat until the, the sort of panic is over and the the news cycle moves on to uh whatever else it it wants to to worry people about but but it got me thinking about novel threats and how we react to them and how perhaps we we ought to react to them and whether actually panic serves a, a a sensible purpose okay nicely set up um
0: before we sort of go and answer some of those questions just i don't think i i know what the public perception is to this risk I think I definitely know what lots of uh, broadcasters and DJs, you know, radio DJs think about this a bit. Um, but I don't, I don't know what the public perception of this is. Because I think, as you're kind of intimating a little bit, is we know what all these sort of pundits sort of think about and they get terribly excited about it. And it's another new story. Um, and it's kind of forgotten the next week. Um, but I don't think I've had a conversation with anyone about this, about you know, what do you think has happened to the public, to 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 the NHS? And
2: well, I know a lot of people seem to think that the NHS had been attacked. You know, the the, the coverage was gave the impression that uh, some hackers had targeted the NHS, and that's not what's happened at all. I mean, this is just the NHS is just one victim of of this ransomware attack. What's irritating in this case is that um you know it's a really easy thing to patch as well, so it just exploited this vulnerability that was patched out in various Windows updates, but I think they were using an old version of Windows. They'd been told, you know, it's one of these things where, you know, no doubt... There are a whole bunch of, you know, um, of of sort of IT guys in the NHS saying, you know, we really need to get the latest version of this software and had probably just been told, well, everything's been fine up till now. So we're not going to we're not going to lay out this very small expense to do that. Um, you know, I think that that's 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 what's frustrating is why does why do things have to happen before people take them seriously? I mean, you know, that's what it feels like, actually, instead of instead of trying to understand risks from first principles and react in advance like we ought to think we basically just have to wait for things to go wrong and then then people do things about them um and you know you could say well actually now there's an argument for saying well that's actually a lot less effort as an approach it's a perfectly good approach you know uh given that we're saving a lot of effort in trying to analyze and respond to risk all we have to do is sit there and 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 fight the last war you know
0: but you guys are too clever right um because this is about human nature Right? So every day my bloody computer is telling me to update something or other and I just get saturated with these automated messages and I, I just... don't
2: know you just automate automate have updates that are automatic what are you talking about? Uh,
0: because I worry about it slowing down my computer and whatever might be going what what the updates might actually Well
2: you're an nin- you're an nincompoop.
0: Well there we go. I'm a nincompoop. Yeah, cuz you really don't want to get
2: I... ransomware. It's incredibly not only the nuisance but you know, you're you're basically funding people to do it again. That's what, yeah. so so irritating. It's all the idiots out there who make who are making this possible. Well, you know, if it was if everyone was had good IT hygiene like me, um, there wouldn't be any ransomware because there'd be no money in it.
0: If only you You're could, you
2: ruining could, it for everyone else. Well, if
0: only you could duplicate that hygiene in other parts of your life, that's why. <laughs> um, well, no, but look, this is why many times I have broken bones, okay? I've, I've had God knows how many accidents in my life, and I have probably had about 50.
2: When I first met Fraser, he was uh, he was nursing a broken arm. Was I? Yeah, you had, you'd had you had a motorbike accident, yes, I think. Yes,
0: that's right, that's right. It was quite a bad one. Um, anyway, and, and so many times I've had pause to thought, and to wonder why pain exists, okay? And I think the reason why pain exists is to stop you from doing something. Because I remember sitting there with a broken arm, broken ankle, saying, God, wouldn't this just be so much easier? I recognise that my broken bone needs to mend. Wouldn't it be much easier if I just had a red light come sort yeah, of flashing is, up on my Yeah, this is throat?
2: actually a, uh, a, quite a big philosophical question of why, why does pain hurt? Yeah. You know, why? But, but I mean, that's exactly... You've, I mean, it's not controversial to... Uh, I mean, it's pretty well accepted. Obviously, that pain has to be aversive. It's got to be something you don't want. Otherwise, you'll just sit there, you know, absentmindedly stabbing yourself in the leg and going, "I can put up with the, uh, I can put up with that little flashing red yeah. light. This is fun."
0: And so that's my point, Nick, which is the um, oh why oh why do these organisations let this happen again and again? Why does it have to happen for them to learn to not do it? And the answer is that that's the pain. So that is my answer to your question. I've solved it for you. What
2: what's the I don't understand. So why the don't question.
0: these why don't these organisations practice good? Um, good um it hygiene and the reason why is we can only learn through a painful experience well no but we don't we, that's not true that's what i'm saying i mean it's like if
2: if that was true in humans then we'd we would have to personally go around suffering every single thing that has ever happened to someone before we knew that that you know jumping out of windows or or, or sticking your hand in the oven was stupid things to do you know we 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 are capable of understanding that you know, dangerous things have the have the potential to hurt us, and so we avoid doing them. Um, and I just think that you know, it seems like we organisations sometimes don't don't try hard enough
1: to do that. Um, I, th- I think there is something definitely though in um, a personal experience of pain is that much more resonant than the 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 sort of abstract somebody else's pain. Oh, this thing happened to somebody else, and you never you can never quite. Uh, empathize with them to the extent, or, or, or you know, see their perspective a- a- enough to genuinely believe it's going to happen to you. There's always this element of optimism bias, which is, yeah, but either they deserved it or they were more stupid than I am. But but somehow, but it's only when you burn your own fingers that you that you truly truly listen to it. And I and I and I, but interestingly, you know, I, I suppose um, my initial sort of uh interpretation of this is panic around those things when they're when they're breaking and something happens you actually you actually get a distortion or overestimation of 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 the risk at that point so so as bad things are happening to other people and you 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 see that happening and and there's something different when when that sweeps into a into a panic about a particular well yeah but i think there's
2: a rational um uh when a new category of threat emerges to um you know to sort of err on the side of caution it's rational yeah. because you're you're acquiring information so you're at a point of high uncertainty. Uh it it does make sense to uh to then sort of wait and see and you probably want to ke- take mitigating action. Um but yeah, I mean there's lots of lots of interesting examples. I mean I remember the um do you remember the flesh eating bug uh of panic it was about 20 years ago yeah. and um you know it was sort of the the impression was that there was this great plague of contagious flesh-eating bugs that there was a headline i think monster bug ate my face and um it was they were totally unconnected they basically this was a vi- this is a virus that's kind of anyone could get and uh, that you know one story hit the headlines and then then people went and unearthed other stories and turned it into a non-existent epidemic um you know uh, so it, and and i think there you know there are it's interesting some some kinds of um uh you know health and safety behavior is is totally and utterly wrong it's based on completely incorrect beliefs like like you know not going not going swimming after you've eaten i mean everyone knows that one right you don't go swimming after after you've eaten why something to do with getting cramped. i mean there's absolutely no evidence for it at all there's um, and then there's the my favourite one is the is the the Korean fan death uh, myth. Do you know about that one? No. Yeah, basically Koreans generally believe that if you uh, are in a room with a fan on, you die. <laughs> uh, that if you if you go to sleep and you leave a fan running in your room, you die. Okay. They, they think they think that there is no evidence for that, but it's a very widely held belief in Korea. What? I have. I mean, it's 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 balmy. It's and it's, it's apparently been. It's about a hundred years old. This this thing. Yeah, you know, there's no evidence for it, and yet people take mitigating action. Uh,
0: you know, go around switching their fans off. Um, okay, well, I didn't expect to hear that. <laughs> um, okay, well, look, we're slightly meandering off course. Let's sort of bring it Good. back on track, um, because we want to talk about novel risks. Am I right? And we yeah. want to talk about um, how do you quantify? um a a risk that's novel that you know where you don't you don't know what the risk is um yeah
1: so i think i think that's quite that's particularly applicable to um to these kinds of cyber risks because uh you know insurance in relation to these these cyber risks is is a is a newly growing market but of course it it poses the question of of how how you start to uh estimate the risk associated with things for which there isn't necessarily a huge amount of precedent now we're getting more and more data about cyber risks and their impacts and the different kinds of them uh but if you compare it to something like you know the um, the risk associated with fire we don't we don't have the same level of data so first of all you know how how do you start to estimate the the probability of of you being subject to this particular type of risk and then how how do you estimate um the size of the of the damage caused to you or the impact or the cost uh when you don't necessarily have a huge number of uh, of uh of precedents to to base it on you know with 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 something like a fire risk it's it's uh relatively easy to estimate what the the upper cost would but you know it would be the the cost of the the house and all of its all of its contents but with something like a cyber risk uh it may be more difficult to determine um, you know what level of of cost might be associated with with something like that how far it might it might go and uh, what level of damage it, it could cost so I think this poses a an interesting question about um, assessing novel novel risks
2: yeah I suppose the interesting thing with cyber risks is the is the fact that they all of them uh, seem to exploit a, a hitherto unnoticed vulnerability and you know what what's we can 't ever really be sure that there isn't some you know super vulnerability out there where a really really effective uh virus will sort of one day basically lock down every every connected computer in the world or, or you know that that's the, the kind of thing which um is uh w- we sort of imagine to be low probability but we might might be wrong you know we we it's very hard to, to sort of quantify those kinds of one-off uh that's really really big and completely unprecedented risks um but i think the i think the 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 approach is to try and look at the actual system to understand the characteristics of the system and make judgments i mean you can you can um you, you know if we can look at um risks to i don't know like aviation or something and uh we don't need to we 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 don't need to um have data on every single plane crash that's ever happened uh to understand You know, what factors uh, are potentially risky because we can look at an aeroplane and we understand in engineering terms how the system works and how an aeroplane works and where the kind of engineering vulnerabilities are. Um, so you don't you don't have you don't have to wait for things to happen. You don't you know you can you can do it by looking at the system. You can br- break the system into smaller parts and and understand e- each of their characteristics.
0: So I should just keep um, updating my computer.
2: You, well, that, yeah, that's. I mean, I, don't, I think there's not an IT person on earth who wouldn't tell you to do that. So uh, so yeah, keep keep doing that. Um, IT
0: IT people are always telling me to do all sorts of things. And,
2: yeah, they're probably right. Well, they're probably I think right they, about um, the IT But it does stuff, it does it fair. does
1: beg the 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 question of. Um, of sort of um, health and safety, or risk aversion, fatigue. You know, and and the way, uh, particularly in this country, if people mention the term health and safety, everybody sort of groans and rolls their eyes to the to the skies. Um, and and yet, you know, aside uh, the, the, those those totally unnecessary health and uh, health and safety measures that you know Nick was uh, uh, sort of mentioning earlier on. Those aside. Uh, Generally, you know, what what they're suggesting you do is about reducing reducing the the risk to you as an individual. But we do have this sense of, um, I suppose, just a a general disdain for for health and safety and health and safety measures. Well, there
2: is there is the the whole sort of the Daily Mail um, cancer issue. Uh, there's actually a, there's a, a website I don't know if it's still up and running but uh, which is which is uh, the sort of Daily Mail things that give you cancer and things that cure cancer and basically there's, there's hundreds of things on this list that the Daily Mail has at some <laughs> point reported as, as giving you <laughs> cancer and some of them are on both lists you know some things both give you cancer and cure cancer yeah. uh, everything it's you know from asparagus to, to um, you yeah. know no uh, net, no net games then basically yeah and yeah. I, I think um, I mean it's interesting thinking about actually things like the, the evidence on um smoking uh being bad for you which took a long time it, uh, it, you know that's that's an example where we, we it was the almost the other way around you know we we had instead of panicking and stopping doing something we uh you know we had really had to educate ourselves into uh taking appropriate measures and i think the you know con- contrast that with something like bse do you remember the bse scare yeah um yeah where uh you know a lot of people instantly stopped buying beef and um and then there there's things like uh you know which which was sort of the the opposite of the smoking uh, situation um and then there's things like global warming where you, you know we all probably ought to be taking very significant uh action But, you know, no one, there seems, it seems to be just very, very difficult to motivate people.
0: But doesn't this all go back to what I was talking about, which is this kind of pain threshold or the pain alert, right? Whereas with something like um, uh, global warming, it's such a slow burning problem and actually doesn't really feel like a problem a lot of the time that we don't do anything about it. Um, Similarly, smoking is quite good fun. And and so that's why sort of that's why people take some convincing about that. Whereas I guess seeing someone suffering from brain spongiform, form, whatever it was, is is sort of inherently terrifying. You go, Christ, I'm going to stop eating. So it doesn't doesn't it all all go back to that? Is our own natural um, I don't know human um, emotions, I guess.
2: Yeah. Although I mean, I don't I don't really understand, and I'm not sure there's a sort of well developed theory of what determines that that reaction. Because there's not superficially that much difference between sort of finding out about BSE and Creutzfeldt uh, Jakob disease um, and finding out about smoking and lung cancer. And yet, in the case, I mean, both things involve, you know, both involve doing a fun thing. Yes, exactly. And, 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 why 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 did the bse thing or you know the the salmonella and eggs um thing why did they lead to people I, suddenly I, switching to chicken and, and, and not and, buying eggs whereas whereas you know with with smoking it it just took years and years and years and I th- to, I think to not is, have very much impact
1: this is where behavior comes in and the 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 idea of of panic and and sort of um the cultural setting that it's not necessarily you know it, it is driven by our um our sort of desire to conform to what society is 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 doing and it's some some things for whatever reason create an initial panic that then that then snowballs so i mean if you look at something like um uh and you know shifts over time if you look at something like um pregnant women drinking alcohol uh and how you know we're now at a stage where that is very much something that is a is a taboo which previously wasn't a taboo and probably happened quite quickly but then you get other things like people dropping the eating of of beef which 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 is a much more acute sort of panic and then you get things which evolve much more slowly uh like you know like the reduction in in um Smoke you know smoking uh, uh, or smokers uh, we need to round things
0: up pretty swiftly, but I just want to I mean, it, it seems to me that I feel sorry for you guys at a left sometimes because it, it feels like you 're a voice crying in the wilderness you're this sort of oasis of of rationality dealing in this irrational world or trying to help people a shining
2: beacon a shining beacon of
0: right and my question to you is this is i was just wondering going back to when we first met nick and me and my broken arm and how strong a memory is that for you uh i remember it pretty
2: well i thought hang on uh, this guy uh seems like seems like one of us Right, there we go. uh, Just to flesh that out a bit more, uh, Fraser and I met during one of the National Childbirth Trust uh, How to Be a Parent lessons, and... um and uh yeah it was it was sort of Fraser and I were the were the two who were probably there um with with the most with the most sort of skepticism really uh, everyone else was very well i think most of, most of the other dads were very earnest about it and i think uh, Fraser and I were a bit less earnest
0: yeah we rocked to a different tune <laughs> um but um
2: but i yes i basically remember it quite well i think you, you know which uh, might suggest that we are, you know, primed to look for other people's misfortunes so that we can we can learn from them.
0: But the reason I bring this up is that I want to challenge this idea of you being so rational, because this makes me think of another uh, podcast. Well, I, we I did. would
2: never get on a motorbike. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah, so, no, you I, know. I wouldn't either.
0: Um, but. Well, this was a pushback. Not, by not anymore, on. anyway. Yeah, not yeah. anymore. No, but what makes me think of this is it makes me think of another podcast about false memories. Because as we were talking just now, I thought, yeah, okay, yeah, oh, God, yeah, I'd broken my arm when I met him. Then I thought about it, and I thought, well, hold on. I broke my arm in 2006, okay, and we didn't meet until 2008. That's correct. Maybe you were just very, very slow uh, healing. <laughs> No, you're right. Maybe it was just that you'd
2: bashed yourself up in an accident of some kind. That, yeah. uh, I, you had something wrong with your arm. You, okay. bash, was it, what was it then? What are you claiming was the ailment that well, you are suffering now, from? Well, no, I
0: think probably what it is is pretty much any time anyone will listen, I will sort of regale them with stories of me sort of, you know, my, my scrapes and escapades. And so that's probably what happened. I've got some quite vivid scars on my arms as well, where it looks like I've been arguing with a crocodile. Um, And in fact, my children think I did have an argument with a crocodile once. And that's why I've got these scars on my arm. I'm I'm intrigued by the idea of an argument with a crocodile. What was what would it have been about? (laughs) Um, You're not. Yeah, you're not eating my. I think it was I always tell them I was telling off a a crocodile for trying to eat children or something. And I was wagging my arm, my finger at the crocodile. And so, so no, probably all, that all makes sense. I'm now going to go around believing
2: that that's what happened because <laughs> it's got a vivid mental image.
0: Okay, chaps Right, we'll wind up there. Um, yeah, as always, I really enjoyed that. Yeah, from cyber risks to um, don't mess with crocodiles. Yeah, watch out for those crocodiles. It's the next
1: public panic. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, no, no, that's true because the allig- the alligators in the in the sewers. You know that one in New York. Yeah. Supposed to be a population of alligators down there. Yeah. I, I'm not even sure that that's not true. Could be. I think there might be of cases where where there has been an allegation in the sewers.
0: I mean, true or not, I'm just going to try and I, I think I'm going to err on the side of caution and not go down those sewers next time I'm in New York. So. But
2: well, yeah. And don't just don't, don't go to the toilet. Yeah. Go to the toilet in the corner of the room where the crocodiles can't get you. That's my health and safety <laughs> that,
0: advice. That's the rational approach. <laughs> yeah. OK. All right. Um, Chris Ragg, Nick Hare of Aleph Insights. Um, I'm Fraser McGrew. We've been here with the Cognitive Engineering Podcast. Thank you.